realize that you've set us apart. Lord, we give, we give you our hearts. We pray, Lord, that you make this holy ground so that, Lord, you might sow. And Lord, that there might be a harvest and there might be good fruit, Lord, in our life. Lord, what you hope to accomplish through us, if we knew in totality, if we knew with the intimate details that you, you've described way ahead of these events and ahead of these times, if, Lord, we understood what you hope to accomplish through our lives, we would be overwhelmed. Perhaps, Lord, too overwhelmed to even move from this very spot. But, Lord, in this moment, God, we declare once again that you have our hearts and that you can use us how you would like to use us. Lord, we're your children, anointed for your great purpose. And we recognize you in all things, but especially in this moment. Do something, Lord, within us. Show us, Lord, something in front of us, Lord. And may we never look behind so that we can follow hot after what you've told us to go after. Do what you've told us to do and be in relationship with you intimately. So in your name, Jesus, we pray over the next few moments, Lord, that you would bless our time together. In your name, Jesus. Seated. As you might remember, we uh, are showcasing opportunities for you to get involved and connected to Church of the Savior. And one of the best ways to do that is to serve, really. It puts you in touch with people who uh, you would maybe never ever get in touch with, and you would develop friendships and relationships. So, serving is a great way to get connected here at Church of the Savior. And this morning, we'd like to showcase for you the First Impressions Ministry, uh, revealing uh, and sharing with us really. Uh, some great vision and opportunity for you to get connected and serve. Enjoy this video. Hi, everyone. I'm Alexis Castro, and this is Bernie Mullins. Wouldn't it be we are available. Like are you? We need a few good men, women, and teenagers with a heart to welcome and love people. Yes. Many people walk through our doors every single Sunday, and some of them are coming oh. in broken, lonely, or just in need. We can give them that person to talk to, make them feel welcome, or just put a smile on their face to get them ready to no. praise God and listen to his word. Like Alex said, we're all looking for folks to welcome and greet people. We're all given a gift from God, and what we do with that gift is our gift back to God. For further information, contact Robin Oatley to get connected. Thank you for serving. <laughs> How many of you love Bernie, right? Yeah. And Alex, and Alex. Great church, great place to serve, great place to get involved. Listen, if you've got any questions about uh, getting connected and, and serving in this ministry, just visit our webpage. There's a whole collection of details, perhaps a form that you can fill out, churchofthesavior.net slash serve. Uh, and also, you can sign up in the lobby. So there you go. Pastor Steve has a special announcement. As you leave today, there's a magazine outside and a little white table is called the Kentucky Citizen. And one of our church heroes, it's Kent Ostrander, a member of our church family, he has maybe the most thankless job in our state, one of the hardest to do, and that is in Frankfurt fighting for Christian values. It is a hard, hard deal. And uh, 
And I want to tell you by picking up one of these magazines, you could look at what coming issues are coming to our state. And if the church is silent, we just keep losing religious freedoms and the next generation is going to find it really hard. So everyone pick one of these up before you leave and call your house member or senator. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Steve. Many of you appreciate Pastor Steve. Yeah. Yeah, and Kent Ostrand. <laughs> All right, another way to get connected here at Church of the Savior is to get involved in a small group. We've got Midweek Boost coming up on Wednesday starting February 3rd. Uh, you know, it's a great midweek service, but we also collect in small groups. Also, we have our regular connect groups uh, getting going here. Also, you can get all this information on our website, churchofsavior.net slash groups. I get a kickback every time you visit the website. Also, uh, we have had some just amazing things happen through Church of the Savior, through, through you uh, as, as a church. Now, I want to pull your attention to the end of the year project update. Uh, houses uh, for the orphanage, we were able to raise $21,794, which is amazing. That will build two, two houses for, for these orphans. Is that not amazing? I think that's something to celebrate. Also, uh, the goal was to raise $15,000 for the pro-life campaign in Israel, but we were able to give $30,155, an amazing dollar figure. God's doing some amazing things through you. Please know that. Please know also that he sees uh, the details and he knows every cent and every effort that we make uh, to contribute to what he's already doing in the world. We have uh, an opportunity like we've never had before to do uh, what he's called us to do, I believe. So if you've got your scripture, if you get your Bible, we're going to finish the book of Genesis. <laughs> I'm just teasing. This has probably been one of the best things I've ever, you know, I've, I've probably preached a total in my life like 1,500 times. So it's not, it's not as much as Pastor Steve. And I will say this, that over the course of two years, I think uh, it's been a healthy, healthy thing, at least for Anthony Nelson. And I'm super, super grateful to have done this with Pastor Steve. But when I was younger, in seventh and eighth grade, we had a, a young man, uh, well, he was young, but he was older than me, moved to uh, my town of Winchester. He was quite the soccer player. I was a soccer player. I had great admiration for him. He was very skilled. He, w- he was just a, a great, he was just a great athlete. Charlie probably is still a great athlete. Um, and it was interesting, you know, um, he had such influence on my life that I tried to play soccer like Charlie. And um, he had a completely different body than me. He was, he was shorter than me. Uh, he was thick and he was, you know, he was a muscular guy. Uh, so completely different. You know, I don't have those muscles and, um, I'm kind of slender and all this, you know, good stuff. Anyway, I tried to play like Charlie and, and I tried to imitate, uh, how he played. And, and it's interesting because his, his, his body type allowed him to do certain things that um, I just was unable to do. He could get lower. He could turn on the ball quicker. Uh, uh, he could accomplish certain things on the field uh, more efficiently than me. And uh, one day my coach came to me. He says, hey, listen, what are you trying to do? Um, uh, <laughs> 
I said, well, there's this guy, Charlie. He goes, I know Charlie, one of the best players in our state, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, well, listen, I was just, you know, I was just imitating him. He says, listen, uh, one of the great things about Charlie is that he trains hard. He's a great athlete. Uh, You can train hard. You can be a great athlete, uh, but don't try to be Charlie. Don't, Don't try to be like him, but train like him. And there's a lot of truth to that. Charlie was a workhorse. He would do hills with a tire around his waist. He'd do all kinds of crazy, you know, insane training regiment type stuff. And, and I remember thinking, I can imitate that. Uh, but I couldn't imitate him uh, super, super well on the field. I had to play my own game. And I would just say to you this morning that there are people we can imitate. There are people that we can, we can take their lifestyle and we can say, oh, there's something here that can challenge me, something here that can grow me, something that can mature me. And, and I think we've got that opportunity with the life of Joseph. I think Joseph provides for us an opportunity uh, to see some things that we can imitate, some things that we can, you know, kind of uh, draw on, some actions of Joseph that you and I, we, we could imitate and grow through. But there's an anointing through your life. There's an anointing on your personality, God's power flowing through who you are, working to accomplish something that is unique to you. And I can't stop saying that because I believe it in my heart that if you really allow the Holy Spirit to do that great work in you and through you, you won't ever look back and you'll find great fulfillment in the life that he's got for you to live in particular, in singular, but then in community, because through that, we all come together and create the body of Christ. So there are some admirable actions that Joseph provides for us, especially when communicating with authorities and communicating with one another. I want you to check this out. If you look in your scripture, either on your phone or perhaps you brought your your paper Bible with you, open up to Genesis chapter 50. We're going to look at verse 1. The scripture says, now this is the end of Jacob or Israel's life. He has passed away. That Joseph threw himself on his father and wept over him and kissed him. Then Joseph directed the physicians in his service to embalm his father Israel. So the physicians embalmed him, taking on a full 40 days, for that was the time required for embalming. And the Egyptians mourned for him 70 days. When the days of mourning had passed, Joseph said to Pharaoh's court, I have found, if I have found favor in your eyes, speak to Pharaoh for me. Tell him, my father made me swear an oath and said, I am about to die. Bury me in the tomb I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. Now let me go up and bury my father and then I will return. And then in verse 6, the scripture says, Pharaoh said, go up and bury your father as he made you swear to do. So Joseph, his first action was that he respected Pharaoh. He respects Pharaoh. Joseph was not presumptuous. Now, if you were standing in front of the Pharaoh, I would assume, like, like me, I'd probably be just a little bit intimidated. But In his relationship, he seems to have direct access to Pharaoh himself, yet he doesn't treat Pharaoh as an equal. He communicates to Pharaoh through the intermediaries. He communicates through the servants provided by Pharaoh. He kept his distance. He communicated through uh, the servants, right? And I think this seems appropriate, especially because there's precedent in Esther. Esther chapter 4, verse 2, you might recall when Mordecai, you know, had learned of of Haman's plans to eliminate and destroy all the Jews. He rent his clothes, and uh, he was in sackcloth, and he was only allowed to come as far as the king's gate. He was not uh, allowed to go beyond the palace door because of the state he was in. 
But when I look at this, and what I think really, when I see here, I think Joseph is that, that he's respecting the boundaries in this relationship. Even though we could assume that they have more than an intimate relationship. Pharaoh, in a way, almost owes Joseph his kingdom, especially since Joseph was being used to save the Pharaoh's nation. But he still did not act presumptuously with the Pharaoh. Isn't that interesting? He was respecting the boundaries of that relationship, respecting boundaries that might have not ever been talked about, but there were boundaries, and he was respecting those boundaries. Someone once said boundaries aren't all bad. That's why there are walls around mental institutions. No one laughed in the first one either. (laughs) But when we operate with respect, we kind of keep our crazy to ourselves. Now, every one of us, we're going to have to be transparent. We've got a little bit of a craziness on the inside of us, right? Something no one else would understand. Sometimes we act presumptuous. Sometimes we assume certain things. And really what we're saying is we're operating with a certain amount of self-restraint. We're not walking on eggshells, but we're also not lobbing in raw eggs to the room. Do you know what I mean? There's a real balance here. But if we work really hard to convey and show respect, then that relationship will absolutely benefit. And it's interesting to me that we can find something to respect about someone we don't even like. If you work really hard, if you open your heart and allow the Lord to talk to you, he'll show you something that you can really respect about that other person. And when you show respect, you develop that posture, that humble posture of respect, that relationship somehow blossoms. I don't know. I don't know how it works exactly, but someone can tell when you've got respect for them. Raise your hand if you know what I mean. When you open your heart up and say, I'm going to respect you, I'm going to show respect, even though I don't feel it, something amazing happens. He also, Joseph, rephrases. Joseph does not share verbatim what his father told him. From the original conversation he had with his father, he leaves out two things for two different reasons. He rephrases, number one, for clarity. He rephrases for clarity. He didn't describe the nature of his oath-making with his father which would have probably included the gripping of his father's thigh and and, and this strange embrace and what it meant to them. It was a cultural nuance or a cultural peculiarity and how they made their agreements. He, He left that out. In a way, if you think about this, It would be like trying to explain to a non-handshaking culture, hey, we shook on it. We know what that means, most of us. We made an agreement, right? But for a non-handshaking culture, which there are some out there, that would be a difficult thing to say. We shook on it. That wouldn't mean much to them. In this situation, what Joseph does is he leaves some things out for the sake of clarity. He doesn't want to muddy the waters. This was a real um, oath that I made with my father. So he bypassed that so he could be understood within a culture that was not his, which I'm sure is second nature to him by now. But rephrasing for clarity in a complex culture does not mean that you and I jettison the truth. It means that we rephrase it so that it can be understood. It means that what we're saying might sound different, but what we're saying is not different. It helps the listener really understand what we're really trying to communicate. It becomes more clear to them in those moments. There's that old saying, uh, no one has taught until someone has learned, right? 
This is the same principle. It's very similar to that. And it's an art, an art form to be practiced, to communicate to a culture so that they understand what you're really trying to say. And our culture is becoming more complex as time goes on, right? We can't just use the same catchphrases to get someone from point A to point B. We've got to work a little harder. And so sometimes we have to rephrase for clarity. Number two, he also rephrased for care. The last thing that Joseph wanted to do was make his request appear ungrateful to Pharaoh. Egypt had been a great place to live, but it wasn't home. Pharaoh knew that. Joseph knew that. And he knew that he knew that. Does that make sense? To have repeated the way his father said what he said would have brought offense. Uh, Don't bury me in Egypt. Take me up out of Egypt. That would have been careless and it would have offended him. It would have brought offense, but instead he took great care when he rephrased what he was trying to communicate. During an interesting interaction with the Pharisees, Jesus explained to them uh, that a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree produces good fruit. And when you're dealing with people, you can tell who they are by the fruit of their, their life. And then he goes on to you know, give them this great compliment. You guys are a, a brood of vipers, this is what he tells them. Very interesting, right? And then Jesus says to them in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, he says, But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. That's pretty intense, isn't it? But then Jesus earlier had given them an escape route uh, in the same interaction when he said Matthew chapter 12, verse 31, he said, so I tell you every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. Now there's a difference between slander and careless words, not being caring. One is not necessarily the same as the other. Not, they're not equal to one another, but sometimes they're closer than they are far apart. And so here we see that Joseph rephrases for the sake of clarity, but that he also rephrases for the sake of care. And when we interact with people, sometimes we've got to go that extra mile to make sure that we don't bring a needless offense, that if we were just to rephrase it, we could say the same thing in a manner that would be less of offensive to that person. It's difficult to do, but Joseph showed us that it can be done. And the other thing that he does in verse 5 is that he returns. He keeps his promise, which he does in verse 14. And in so doing, he honors that relationship with Pharaoh. I see that in a way, they're in a very committed relationship. They're not equals, of course. There's Pharaoh, the real leader of the nation. There's, There's Joseph, the savior of the nation in many ways. But Joseph didn't use this as an opportunity to escape and start his own kingdom. See, Joseph was intimately aware of how this kingdom ran. He had insight that nobody else had. He was a part of the management. He was a part of the leading of this nation. He hobnobbed with the rulers and those that were really in charge. He had a great deal of information and insight on how to do this. But instead of running off and starting his own kingdom, he returned to the kingdom that he was serving. He started out as a prisoner, if we recall right. And he had this great administration of record. And he'd never saved a nation, but within a short period of time, God thrust upon him the opportunity to stand up and, and take on this overwhelming responsibility, and he was successful. So I don't doubt that he grew, and I don't doubt that he had excellent insight on how to lead a nation, how to manage a nation, how to lead people, and how to purport vision and develop, you know, camaraderie. He, he had all the fixings. He was an intimate part of this nation. But yet, On the heels of this great win, 
of such great proportion, our accomplishments would probably look pretty small to them. I, I find myself almost just a little surprised that he didn't clinch this as the opportunity to branch out and start his own nation. But he didn't. He returned. He kept his promise. He honored the relationship. And so here's a rhetorical question perhaps I'd ask you to ponder in your own heart. Have you ever fought, or perhaps you're fighting now, or, or failed to fight the temptation to expand your kingdom at the, expense of, at the expense of a relationship you should have honored? Because we all have our little kingdoms. These three principles, respecting, rephrasing, and returning, are timeless, I think. They're like guardrails that help us in our relationships with authorities and our relationships with one another. But really, let's be honest. There's an elephant in the room, right? Relationships can be tough, especially during this season of our life, especially during this climate that we're living in. You know what I mean, right? I had a friend from Bible college text me a few days ago asking me how the ministry was going. So I texted him back and I said, it's getting harder to hold the church together, which I think too would be his perspective. See, I do think that there is a very real effort being put forth to pull us apart, to divide us, and then to finally fragment us. I believe that's what's going on. And in that fragmented state, we become isolated, living with even greater exposure to the enemy of our soul. See, I believe that we really are stronger and we're actually safer together. And I believe that's a biblical principle. I believe that the enemy wants to pull us apart, to divide us, to fragment us, to isolate us, to isolate you one from another. Matthew chapter 12, verse 25 says, every kingdom, Jesus said, divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. And see, I don't think we have to fall prey to that attack of pulling us apart. And what I'm about to share with you, I really believe is from God. Like, like everything I share, like everything Pastor Steve shares, it, it, we believe it's really from God. There's the prayer that goes into it. And then there's this back and forth many times. Lord, do you really want me to share this? Do, do I really have to share this? <laughs> but I also know that as I share this, some people will feel singled out. But you're not. I've heard the same phrases. I've, I've heard the same things said many times over and over again. The same concerns raised by many people. So it's not you, but it's, but it's all of us. So this is my premise. Near the origin. It's not the origin, but near the beginnings of a lot of our division are the Facebook posts and exchanges revolving around any number of controversial topics we have on hand. And boy, do we have a lot to argue about. I personally do not feel very, I'm, I haven't been very active on Facebook in the last few years. Uh, maybe I will improve my presence, but I'm not asking you, my friends, to follow my lead on what you post or how often you post. Uh, but I, I do remember looking back when everyone was on this thing called MySpace. It was a happy little fun place, lighthearted. It was enjoyable. And even Facebook started out that way, but then it became quite toxic. Now, I'm not against disagreeable posts, okay? And I'm not trying to get you to self-censor your opinions. I'm not your fact checker. I'm not any of those things, okay? 
I say make your statement, make it well known, make your opinion known. That, that's good, that's, that's good. But it's what happens after a person makes their post on Facebook. It's the exchanges that follow that really do concern me. So what I'm saying is that when we use this platform for conflict, we rarely acquire resolution. And we almost never achieve reconciliation. Does that make sense? Each party walks away from the exchange soiled, hurt, really, and many times even more resolute to fight for my position or to fight for my idea or, or, or to, you know, say it again, but say it louder. And may I also make this abbreviated, very abbreviated case that Facebook does not have your best interest in mind. Surprise. <laughs> I believe it's because it's, uh, the platform offers a very entertaining but artificial means of interacting with one another. Uh, I believe you have legitimate God-given desires to dialogue, to share your perspective, and even, even have conflict. I believe those are God-given desires. Those are all real needs. But when we meet God-given needs through artificial means, we corrupt that which should be cherished. Two things get corrupted. Our relationship with the other person gets corrupted. And we corrupt the conflict that could have been the servant of truth. But instead, it became a weaponized instrument for that purpose of acquiring approval from those who already share our perspective. So consider this also. When we have this corrupted conflict, uh, we also hurt our witness for Christ. Somebody out there is looking in or watching the exchange, maybe even cheering on or chiming in, they may not have that precious relationship you and I have with our Lord. And with Facebook, you'll never know who or how many people read the exchange. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul highlights how ridiculous it is for believers to be suing one another in public court. He asks why they would want the ungodly to pass judgment on them and their disputes. And then he goes on to write in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7, he says, The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been already defeated. So I would just ask you this, this rhetorical question. Why do we continue to try one another again and again in the court of public opinion? It's a sign of defeat. And we're not here. We haven't been sent here for such a time as this. To lose. God's plan was for us to have victory. God's plan was for us to win. And victory can be ours if, if we trade in the artificial for the authentic. If we trade in the artificial means of interaction with the authentic communication available. If we do that, then I believe that we save ourselves not just a lot of heartache and disunity, but we save ourselves from the distractions the enemy would perpetrate upon us. See, I happen to think that God wants us to be even more aware of what's happening in the world around us, operating with keen insight, especially now. But that's difficult to do if one values the artificial above the authentic. And we may even save others from hell if we Trade the artificial in for the authentic because people will witness our love one for another and, and they'll, they'll want what we have. So victory should be ours. We need to win. We, we don't know what the future holds. There's absolutely no idea to determine what's about to happen. But if we lose, we are the ones that let victory slip through our fingers. 
So this is what I would advocate. When it comes to our response to somebody from our church or even another believer, don't respond on Facebook. Don't respond. Instead, meet with that person face-to-face. Have lunch or have a cup of coffee. Have a real, genuine, authentic disagreement. In those moments, you will hear the tone of their voice. You'll see their facial reactions. Uh, You'll have real empathy build up for that other person you're having a disagreement with. And in that disagreement, that conflict will prove to be profitable for you and for them. As we've heard it said so many times before, it's more important to understand than it is to be understood. That is, if we want the conflict to render godly results. If we can't meet with that person face-to-face, then maybe the best thing might be to do is to have a Zoom call or, or to have a phone call. But all other forms of communication will absolutely backfire on us. I know personally, I've done that lots. So trade the artificial for the authentic. Trade in the artificial means of interaction for the authentic communication available to you. And this is my other request. Make amends. About eight years ago, I had the habit of making Social media posts to and about one of our serving politicians, uh, they were snarky, disparaging, commentary on that person's character and performance. I'm deeply embarrassed uh, by the sin I was involved with. Um, I'm deeply embarrassed by them now because they weren't just off-the-cuff attempts to be funny, saying ridiculous things. They were well-thought-out, cutting statements that were funny to some, but through and through they were just mean They didn't have any redemptive value to them. And somebody I love took great offense to those as as he should have. Shortly into the exchange, I realized that I was uh, damaging my relationship with this person. And to more clearly make me aware of the damage I was causing, my wife, Kristen, uh, made a statement, issued this statement that produced such great conviction in my heart that I took down the post And then I called that person who uh, was living in a different state. Um, And because they wouldn't pick up, obviously, the best thing I could do was leave an apology, a sincere apology on their voicemail. I still feel the shame after eight years when I think back to those moments. But I'll never forget the freedom I felt after I prayed for forgiveness and asked that person for forgiveness. And that experience really started me in the right direction to help me clean up my approach to conflict in social media. Making amends is rarely fun, and and it's usually very, very hard, but it's well worth the sacrifice because it's something that God honors. Is there someone God's bringing to mind right now in your own life that you need to call after service? I would say you can do it. You can absolutely do it. I've, I've done it. I will probably need to do it again in the future. But I would just say this, allow God the opportunity to reward you for that effort of making amends. You will not be disappointed. And finally, the question should not be, do I fit in at Church of the Savior? But I think the question should be, how do I fit in at Church of the Savior? When you and I came into this local church, we had to know that this church had some flaws because we were allowed to join. (laughs) If they really had their act together, Glenn would have trespassed me off the property. (laughs) Excuse me, I've got to make a social media post. (laughs) 
But see, that's what makes this church great, is that we're a work in progress. When we subtract ourselves from the body, the body becomes something less than, it, than she could have been. It's like missing a muscle group or something. But when we stick it out and we value those relationships, we trade in the artificial for the authentic, I'm telling you, we can express a beauty that cannot be found any other place in the world. That's the church. That's the bride of Christ. Now, I, I would like nothing more than to stop right here and go home. <clears throat> But the scripture goes on, look at verse 7. So Joseph went up to bury his father. All Pharaoh's officials accompanied him, the dignitaries of his court and all the dignitaries of Egypt, besides all the members of Joseph's household and his brothers and those belonging to his father's household. Only their children and their flocks and their herds were left in Goshen. Chariots and horsemen all went up with him. It was a very large company. So you've got a large company of people all working to honor Jacob or better known as Israel later on. This is a real honor. This is an amazing thing that the Pharaoh is doing. He's giving these people over for a moment, a momentary time, subtracting their availability in case he needed them to go honor this man, Joseph's father. I want you to recognize the fact that a great military effort was put into honoring his father. They were chariots. They were horsemen. They went up with him. It's a large company. But I think it would be wise of us to be circumspect, to be careful and acknowledge that this same military would pursue them in Exodus chapter 14, Israel's descendants giving great chase into the wilderness, hoping to reacquire them and make them their slaves again. So the relationship changed with the nation. When God's people rebelled against the ungodly authority, they were pursued. See, the nature of their relationship, that of Egypt and Israel over time, changed. So allow me to put forward this thought, the nature of a nation's relationship with God, its people will always change. It will not remain stagnant. We cannot count on it to remain the same. It will always change. God can use his people to save a nation. God can use his people to start a nation. Even here, God's people were used to give birth to this nation, woven throughout America's history, whether we like it or not. You can see God's hand on people influencing, not exclusively, this was not exclusively all God, but affecting what would become the future of America. Yet we should not expect that our relationship with our nation stay the same. A nation can forget God. A nation can forget God's people. A nation can forget God's contribution through God's people. And when that happens, the nature of the nation's relationship changes with God's people. And when that happens, I want to remind you, God's people are God's people. You belong to God. I belong to God. That makes us family. We belong to God. We don't belong to a nation. America does not own you. You're not owned by another human being. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We're God's people. We belong to him. I want to also remind you that God's people are God's servants. While we are here, we serve. That's what we do. But we serve God, which might, which may, which probably will 
bring you into conflict with a nation that wants a docile lapdog for a church. Because eventually, the devil will use whatever leverage he can get against God's people. That's just how this works. Consider 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19. This is Paul, who knew something about a nation turning its back on him. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a servant to everyone to win as many as possible. And I also want to remind you that God's people are God's sojourners. This is not your home. So don't get too comfortable. Don't play it so safe that you lose your soul. You're a pilgrim. You're a visitor. This is not home. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and sojourners to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. And with all of this, I'm reminded of a book from that I received from Joe Blackburn. He gave it to me and several others. A hundred Bible verses that made America great. Glenn Cravens and I were talking about it this week, and he shared with me how much he appreciated a particular chapter. In this chapter, Robert Morgan writes, Without America's pre-revolutionary preachers, it's hard to conceive of the 4th of July. He goes on to document, he says, On January 30th, 1750, Jonathan Mayhew stood in the pulpit of the Boston's Old West Church and preached on the occasion of the 101st anniversary of the execution of King Charles I. His message from Romans chapter 13, this is the title, check this out. He says, the title is A Discourse Concerning Unlimited Submission and Non-Resistance to the High Powers. He's more wordy than I am. He became the first famous preacher in the pre-revolutionary America. Summing it up, Morgan writes, he says, In his sermon, Mayhew avowed that Paul's command to be subject to the governing authorities did not imply blanket submission uh, to tyrants. He says, based on his understanding of Romans chapter 13, we are under the authority of the government, but the government itself is to respect the higher authority of God. When a government exercises power apart from God's oversight, we have the obligation to resist. Allow me to share part of his sermon with you. This is his message. He says, Romans 13 urges the duty of obedience from this topic of argument. That civil rulers, as they are supposed to fulfill the pleasure of God, are the ordinance of God. But how is this an argument for obedience to such rulers as do not perform the pleasure of God? By doing good, but the pleasure of the devil by doing evil. And such as are not, therefore, God's ministers, but the devils, common tyrants, and public oppressors are not entitled to obedience from their subjects by virtue of anything laid here down by the inspired apostle. When once magistrates act contrary to their office, when they rob and ruin the public, instead of being guardians of its peace and welfare, they immediately cease to be the ordinance and ministers of God. And no more deserve that glorious character than common pirates and highwaymen. That, my friends, is a bold proclamation from a 45-year-old preacher who would die the next year. But he was used by God to help start a nation. Some here would prefer that we never talk about politics. And on one level, I understand that. I'm very sympathetic to that for sure. I would rather be somewhere else right now, just to be honest with you, maybe eating roast beef at home. <laughs> but every preacher is called to preach. And I'm under an obligation to God, not just to preach the spiritual, but to preach the practical. 
To do any less would be to practice escapism, which works only for so long, but then the consequences catch up with you. So mark my words. I hope I'm wrong. I pray that I'm wrong. But with this administration, we will have trouble. So let's be sure to pray for our leaders like we've never prayed before. Pray for our nation like we've never prayed before. Might might we even become that, that house of prayer that we long to be? Now Joseph will have his father's funeral. The family mourned. The Egyptians mourned to such a great extent that they were noticed by the surrounding folks. But upon their return, his brothers got nervous. They thought to themselves, oh boy, you know, we're in trouble now with Joseph because dad's gone. So they write him a note and they say, hey, listen, uh, your father would want you to forgive us. (laughs) But Joseph's already there, don't worry. But really, maybe that's a message for us. Maybe we need to be reminded that our father wants other people forgiven in our lives and we just need to forgive them when just joseph's already there he's touched emotionally and and he reassures his brother look at verse 19 but joseph said to them don't be afraid Uh, am i in the place of god so he's saying i'm not god i'm not in charge of this this thing here and i would just say this that there's a sweet release that occurs when you've been wronged and you no longer try to play god in that situation There's something that occurs. It's as though you're able to offer that up to God and just walk away and still love people in spite of that because you're not worried about the outcome. You're not worried about all those details. You're giving that to God because you realize, I'm not God, and I can't play God. And then the best verse comes. It's verse 20. It says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children and be reassured. And he reassured them. And he spoke kindly to them. I love this. This really represents the heart of who Joseph is. In those, in, in those verses, Joseph's theology is just kind of laid out there for all of us to look at and, and garner insight from. Really, it's personal and it's practical theology. Joseph's saying God is sovereign. God is providential. I think he'd be willing to say, hey, no matter what happens, I'm still going to serve I'm going to still serve the Lord. I'm not going to turn away from God. If life gets crazy, I still believe that he is the overruling, providential, sovereign God who's in charge of everything. Period. I think he'd be willing to say that wholeheartedly. Now we're coming to the end of his life. He will have lived 110 years old, got to meet his grandchildren. Pretty amazing, really. And on his deathbed, he tells his family two things, the same two things that you and I will need to tell those that we love and those that follow us. Look at verse 24. It says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land, to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I hope that might sound just a little peculiar to you, because in this moment, they're living the good life, as often does the the promises of god are interruptions to the good life they've got it good this isn't home but boy they've got it pretty good they might have even had servants snap their fingers can i get some bonbons i'm not even sure what a bonbon is can i get a steak you know they're living it pretty good but here they are they get this reminder that there's great promise over their life and it's an interruption so number one you have to tell them of the promises 
Tell them of the promises. When you tell those following you of God's promises, you help them prepare for the best future, but maybe the hard future that God's got planned for them. You're saying, hey, there's great promise, but, but this should prepare you. This, this should remind you that God would like to promote you, would like to do something in your life that, that might cause you some discomfort. The promises of God sometimes pull us out of our comfort zone. But you've got to tell them of the promises. And when you tell them of the promises, sometimes it's not even for you. You're doing the legwork. You're doing the prep work. You're doing the labor that might forever go unnoticed for that person when you describe the promises of God over their life. And that's okay. That's as important as living the promise out. And these people will need to latch wholeheartedly onto the promises, but many of them only go halfway. Verse 25, and Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up out of this place. Oh, so the second thing you've got to tell them is you've got to tell them where you want your bones buried. You see, when you declare where you want your bones buried, this is kind of a breakthrough declaration that many times bends the stubborn heart because it binds you to them. Imagine sitting there with Joseph in this moment. Listen, I don't want you to stay here in Egypt. There's a great promise. And when you walk into that promise, I don't want to be left behind. You better take me. So if my bones remain here in Egypt and you remain here in Egypt, you have failed to follow the promises of God in your life and on your life and for your life. That's what he's saying. It is one final effort to say you've got to follow the promises of God because you're going to take me with you. Can you imagine later on when they're leaving Egypt, who's got great-grandfather Joseph's bones in their bag? I'll, I'll take a leg bone. I'll take a finger bone. <laughs> An outlandish proposition. But can you imagine sitting there with the one that you love saying, listen, I do not want you to remain in the world, but I want you to meet me on the other side. Will you tell me, will you make an oath with me that you will come? And you give him that final bit of pressure. And if you understand people, you rarely refuse a dying man's request. Just an observation. Play for keeps. Tell them where you want your bones buried. So this book closes with a promise. God's will started with a big, amazing, grand beginning. God creating the world, giving life, and then, then it ends in death. But it ends with a promise that there will be one who comes and delivers them which will be Moses, which will eventually be Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. We've made it through the book of Hebrews. Excuse me, we've made it through the book of Genesis. <laughs> Stephen does talk about Joseph. But here's what I would just say. There's one great overarching theme in Joseph's life, and it really is the theme of God's sovereignty, God really being in charge of your life. 
of his life. Unfortunately, lots of times we grapple for control with God all the time. We, we negotiate, we, we hold on when we should let go. You know, we lunge when we should stand still. We're, we're people who really have a hard time accepting that God really is in control of everything going on around us. I remember when we served in Alaska, and I know I talk a lot about Alaska, but that's where God changed me, a lot of me, developed me. If I would have grown uh, that way in Ohio, you'd hear me talk a lot about Ohio. Got an amen out of that. I took up a hobby called mushing. I would drive, not drive dogs, but I would, I would run dogs. That's the nice way of saying it. I got a couple huskies, and we'd, we'd go out at night. I'd wait for the temperature to drop down to about 10 degrees below zero because the dogs seemed to operate at peak performance then. And we'd go up the river and down the river. And so I'd have to wait till like, it got you know, in the, into the middle of the night. And, and I remember I, I went out uh, mushing one evening, and, and I... And I was enjoying the stars, and I was talking to God, and we're just zinging along. The wind's at our back. It's a good run. The dogs are happy. I'm happy. And I, snop- I stopped to feed them. We'd gotten so far away from the village. And, and, and this is what I'd say. It's, it's hard to describe what a, a little village in Alaska is like, but it's kind of like an Arctic ghetto. And there's not a lot going on. The, the economy is really not there, and uh, the young people are up to mischief all the time. And I remember, you know, there was a, a big gaggle of uh, young people on the other side of the river. I was kind of surprised to see them there. But their, their hobby was to run snow machines all night, you know, hit 100 miles per hour on the, on the river. It's just loud and, you know, getting into all kinds of trouble. You know, we didn't even have a real law enforcement, so you'd have to call a state trooper. It'd take two days to get there. So you could get away with pretty much anything. I don't know why that's so appealing to some people, but that was the environment. And I recall like being on one side of the river and here I am and I I know I'm having a hard time. I'm I'm, I'm a missionary there. We're we're having good church services. There's a collection of solid believers, you know, but I'd always get these weird death threats on the phone and and then I get, you know, they'd come and hammer away at the at the back of the at the back of the building. And, And there were some real awkward moments. And I just remember thinking to myself, this is this is a hard life. But I still gotta, you know. Follow the Lord, do what he's asking me to do, deliver what I needed to deliver. And I remember being on one side of the river looking at this collection over here. And they're angry because I'm, I'm white. I'm preaching the gospel. And uh, in that moment, I'm feeding the dogs. And then I hear this pop, 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 pop over there, the sound of someone firing off a, a gun. And... Um, I thought, oh, that's, that's weird. But they were firing tracer bullets. And a tracer bullet leaves like a, a, a red bulb on, on the back end of it so that you can see the trajectory of the bullet, which I thought was kind of interesting, except that they were firing at me. And so these, it looks like it's coming my direction. And then I hear the, this strange, I've never heard the sounds before. It's like a ringing, zinging noise as, as the bullets are kind of ripping above, uh, above me. It felt so close I could jump up and grab one, but instead I just stood there because I knew um, that was the appropriate thing to do, be a standing target. <laughs> Slowly sinking down into my, uh, my boots, 
I thought, um, I, I, the thing to do probably is to get out of here. And so I, I, I was quite nervous, and I, I left all the food there. Uh, I pulled the snow hook, and I got on the back of the sled, and I yelled at the dogs, let's go. And, and what did these dogs do? But they, they took a hard right and then ran directly at the people who just shot at me. I didn't know if they wanted me dead or if they'd been paid off or what, but we, I'd never seen them run so fast. We're charging over the, you know, the, the humps of those rivers like you know, we're in the Iditarod or the Daytona 500. And as we're heading that direction, I thought, well, this is it. They've, they've got a clear shot now. Here I am. I just held on. I didn't know what to do. I didn't want to release the dogs and try to run away in the middle of the river. Um, and as I fast approached that collection of young people, armed and rebellious and angry, um, as I fast approached them, they all scattered. They went every different direction. I am unarmed on the sled being pulled by some crazy dogs. And what I would just say to this to you, this is not necessarily circumstances of your making. Some of it maybe is. You decided to get on the sled. You decided to get some dogs. But you're being pulled into a situation, there's no doubt in my mind. And you don't know what the outcome is going to be. You're on the back of the sled, and it's too late to get off. So this is what I would say to you, that when you find yourself in that moment, that's the moment you trust the Lord. That's the moment you say, I'm in for the ride, maybe the ride of your life, short or long. But God somehow always manages to scatter your enemies and to make a way for you and to provide for you, and to take care of you, and to watch out for you, because you're his children. And he loves you individually, not just collectively, but he loves you personally. So would you pray with me? And while you prepare your hearts to pray, would you stand with me? Lord, we're reminded of Joseph's story. We're reminded of, of, his, of his heart. But we're also reminded of who you are. You're God sovereign. You're God in charge. You're the God who's got everything handled. And in this time, Lord, we submit to you and we just say, Lord, wherever you take us, we will go. We are on the sled. And we don't know what the future holds. We have no idea, but we know that you hold the future. You've got it right there in your hands. And we trust that at the appropriate moment, our enemies will scatter. You will make a way where there seems to be no way. Where there was once certain death, there will be life and a funny story to tell afterwards. Because you're the God who really is in control. So Lord, we submit these moments to you, but more than anything, we submit our entire life to you. We say you're in charge, we trust you, and we give you everything that we've held on to. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. And here's my final invitation. During this last song, if you need to do some time at the altar, don't, don't be ashamed to do that. Don't look at this as a special place for special people. Know that this is 
all of our spots. This is our zone. This is where you can meet with God individually. If you want somebody to pray with you, come on down and get to that prayer. We're in this together and we're family.
of all my tradition and break down the walls of all my religion. Your way is better. Your way is better. Shake up the ground of all my tradition. Break down the walls of all my religion.
I hope you feel that sense of relief. It's all yours, Lord. Bless your people this week. May they, Lord, live into what you've called them to do and who you've created them to be. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you need additional prayer, we're here at the altars. The altars are always open. You are loved. Thank you for joining us at Church of the Savior online today. We hope you are encouraged to pursue God and grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.